You are listening to Fanfare Tracks. Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Lowcaster. That's not true. That's impossible. Oh, it's freezing in this collection room today, but hello and welcome to episode 152 of Making Tracks, brought to you by those fine folk over at fanfatracks.com. As always, I'm Mark, and joining me this week from the top of this hill, it's Mr. Mark Newbold. How's it doing, Mark? How's things up where you are? It's cold on the top of my hill. Is it really? Yeah. It is, but I've got a great view. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, is it? Is it snowy? Are you snowed in? I'm not snowed in. It's definitely too cold to snow. So we tried today. We had what they call a light dusting. Nobody else would refer to as anything. Kind of made it white for about 30 seconds and then disappeared. And the house is kind of warm. Yeah. So I'm wiping the condensation off the windows all the time because I nice. don't want the collection getting wet. Yeah. You know, as you do. Yeah, I try to make sure that my collection doesn't get too excited either. It's been pretty snowy where I am, but apart from that, it's all good. What's been going on in your world and galaxy these last couple of weeks, my friend? Because it's been a couple of weeks since we last spoke. It has been a couple of weeks. This weekend just gone was farthest from, so that's always a, a show that occupies time, prepping and planning. I did a talk at the show, an Andor Locations talk, which was really good fun and seemed to go down pretty well. I didn't record it because I didn't think it was going to be much good for a podcast. <laughs> a bit like ventriloquists on the radio. But we did record a bunch of other stuff. We got some cool. uh, really interesting interviews that will be coming to the show over the next few weeks. Dave always puts on a great event, Dave Tree. It was it was really good fun. Just keep tuning in. There's some really good stuff coming. And then last weekend was Wales Comic-Con, which is always a good show. So there was a load of guests there, including Vivian Lyra Blair. And some of the great people there, Paul Casey was there. Silas Carson was there, so we've got audio with both of those guys. That's coming to the show in the next few weeks as well. I had a tidy up the other day. I had to go and blitz the garage, and I figured, well, whilst I've done the garage, I might as well kind of stay out of harm's way and out of sight from Karen for a bit. So I figured I'd try and rearrange stuff, and I've had to take a step back and kind of try and figure out I'm going to have to start putting more stuff into storage totes to try and free (laughs) up some more space, because at the moment I just have, you know, mailboxes full of, you know, Hasbro vintage collection figures and stuff. It'd be nice to get them on on a shelf. I don't know what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to do something rather drastic, I think, somehow. Maybe just tunnel into next door's garage and just maybe they won't notice if they start kind of having extra boxes of Star Wars in there. Yeah, it's a plan. What has come in this week? An interesting thing that has come in, I would say, is on the 9th of April at the Indigo at the O2, as part of the weekend of Star Wars Celebration Europe 4, we have the return of Cantina. So it's hashtag Cantina 2. But they have started to announce some of the musical acts that will be playing at the show. So the first name they announced was Blues Harvest. Cool. who played in Chicago and also played in the original Hashtag Cantina back in 2016, along with them, and it will be his final live appearance. Sad times. Darth Elvis. Talk about going out on a high. Now, bearing in mind, the other Elvis, you know, that dude from, from the States who was born yeah. back in the 30s and yeah. died on the toilet eating the a imposter. burger in 1977, yeah. Yeah. he retired a number of times. I, my heart tells me this is, this is Sinatra-level retirement, or... Or even Elton John, who said in 1977, I'm never playing another gig again. 
and the Goodbye Yellow Brick Road <laughs> Tour finishes next year. So I hold hope that this isn't the last time, but he says it is. Yeah, well, let's let's hope that um, he's not hanging up the jumpsuit forever. And as you say, I mean, the amount of goodbye and farewell tours I've been to, the Eagles, Motley Crue, Aussie and Black Sabbath and all that over yeah. the years, I think it's now part of the course, isn't it? I think you almost, you do that and you have a, you have a resurgence. But if it is the last time that Darth Elvis is going to be performing live, I think that in itself is worth the, the ticket price and the entry fee. So, you know, if you can get down to the Indigo at the O2, definitely make it down there. But there's not just Blues Harvest and Darth Elvis playing. We've also got DJ Elliot, who's doing a set or two, and Level Up Leroy as well. I think he's doing some DJing as well. Plus, yes. a special headliner guest that is soon to be announced, hopefully before Ash Wednesday. DJ Elliot do his thing live is quite rare these days, and Level Up Leroy with his video DJing is incredible. Yeah. So anybody who's not seen that is in for a treat. We're all very, very busy over a celebration weekend, but you know, you've got to party a little bit. Absolutely. And I mean, to be fair, from the kind of like the costume clubs who tend to have some form of bash or party or dinner or I don't know, seance just about every night of celebration, we have tried our hardest actually to plan around Cantina 2 so we don't actually have a date clash, which is kind of very nice of us. Hi, this is David W. Collins, voice actor for Star Wars and sound designer at Skywalker Sound. You are listening to Fanthatrax. So season one of Andor is now over. We wait for two years for season two to arrive as they film it here in the UK. But good news, nominations for awards start to trickle in for the show. And the first person to get a nomination is Diego Luna, nominated for Best Performance by an Actor in a Television Series or Drama at the Golden Globes. I was expecting other names to be up there. Stellan Skarsgård, I was certain, would get a nomination. Genevieve O'Reilly would not surprise me. Fiona Shaw wouldn't have surprised me. But it's Diego this time round. What do you make of that? For a show that was so obviously stacked with top-line actors putting in heavyweight performances, it's good to see the show get nominated for an acting award, isn't it? Absolutely, and I hope it's not going to be the last. But you are right. I'm surprised we haven't had Best Supporting Actor or Actress. And I suppose that is also going to be the downside when you do have a cast as strong as Andor has. The fact that Diego is kind of out there front and centre as the protagonist and the you know the name of a series i think it's great but he's also picking up a nomination for golden globe so fingers crossed this like you said will be the first of many for the um the award season which is rapidly approaching it is rapidly approaching and and i'm so pleased that luna has got this nomination but as we say you know there's a bunch of other actors that could have easily been given the nod Andy Serkis would not have been a surprise if he'd have been given uh, a nod as well. But the show wasn't nominated for Best Drama, which really did surprise me. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's really difficult, isn't it? There's just so many different shows. When you start going down the route that Andor is taking, you you are starting to elevate the kind of writing style and the, the acting that you get in these series to, you know, some proper seriously heavy hitting shows. But did you know that Diego Luna is only the second Star Wars actor to be nominated for the Golden Globes. The first was Alec Guinness. In fairness, he is the first actor to be nominated in a lead role for for a Star Wars series or film. So that's great going. Also slightly um, disappointed that we don't see Ewan McGregor's name up there for Kenobi. You almost forget that we started the year with Book of Boba Fett. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? And then moved on to Kenobi and, and then on to Andor and it moves so quickly do you think there's a risk that a great performance, let's, here, as an example, let's say Andor had come out before Obi-Wan. Do you think it will be 
Ewan McGregor getting the nod rather than Diego because Avatar's not even out of the cinemas yet and that got nominated for Best Film. I do not understand how that works, but it was. Well, this is this is it. This is where I think it, it comes down to lobbying done by the studios. I wonder in some respects, this is a, you know, it's a, it's a promotional thing in some respects. Yes, some actors and some awards get nominated and voted on by their peers and what have you in industry people, but to actually be put forward can sometimes be like a studio decision. So it mm. could literally just be Disney wanted to get a few more downloads of the Andal series, which we know from from reports and stuff hasn't done as well in the, the downloads and the streaming numbers as its predecessors as Book of Boba Fett and Kenobi. So it could literally just be something really narrow-minded and short-sighted as that, maybe. I don't, you know, each series, as you said, is, you know, is so vastly different as well. So like yeah. trying to compare the better act between Ewan McGregor and Diego Luna, really hard to do based on the strength of their own series, Matt. And you'd almost have to look further back at you know other things that they've been in to kind of look at the general strengths, Matt. So still, I don't think it's I think it's a great boon for the series, and and hopefully this will just be more um, more accolades that Star Wars is going to get in total. So and hopefully we'll get some more. Star Wars tends to do pretty well with the VFX, but I would be hard pressed to kind of really think if there was anything that stand out in the vfx department from Andor per se because it felt so legitimately like live action and you know practical effects rather than loads of cg yeah. so like i said it that could come in from book of boba fett or it could come in from a uh, kenobi so i i don't think we should be counting either of those series off just yet Hi, this is Tamara Carlson Woodard. I work on the Book of Boba Fett and The Mandalorian, and you're listening to Fanta Tracks. As Andor finishes, Willow returns. It's been a long time, 34 years since the original film back in 1988, and Disney Plus, in their infinite wisdom, decided to pick up on Jonathan Casson's idea of bringing Willow back, along with Warwick Davis, and doing a new series following on with his adventures three decades plus on. It's now out in the world. The first two episodes landed last week. The third episode, Battle of the Slaughtered Lamb, arrived just this past week. We haven't had a chance to speak about this yet. I would no. very much like to know your thoughts about this because <laughs> me and Matt Booker went down to London and saw those first two episodes. All the cast and crew, or not all the cast and crew, but many of the, the cast were there, along with Jonathan Kazdan, Michelle Rejwan, and a, a handful of other good folks. And we very much enjoyed the hospitality and I very much enjoyed the episodes. But I do see and hear a mix of thoughts on what we are getting from Willow. It is quite unique in its tone. I think the chemistry of the cast is quite undeniable. They clearly bounce off each other really well. And it's early days for the show. But Mark, what are you, what are you making of Willow so far? Oh, it's it's okay. It looks nice. It, it looks really well shot. And, you know, I suppose it's a great postcard for you know whales and stuff and it's been a long long time since i've seen the original willow i'd have to kind of go back and 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 watch willow but based on what i've seen it feels yeah just a very kind of light and the peril doesn't really feel very perilly you know <laughs> like you said there's some acting in that some performances which is good and some great chemistry and there's some others which isn't quite so good but i do like how They've brought back as many of the original characters as they could do. It's lovely seeing Warwick in a role that really has made him equally, I think, as famous as Wicket. 
it's okay and I, I mean I like it but yeah it's um I'll be honest I don't think it's anything very memorable at the moment I, I have my complaints about like the costumes I always feel like these high fantasy productions tend to forget that people probably would be wearing their clothes and not wash them on a regular basis and everybody mm-hmm. has like really pristine immaculately dressed without a stain on them you've just been sleeping rough for the whole weekend you should be muddy and everything it's probably something that i will stick with for the rest of the series and then we'll try and rewatch and and, and hope it actually does actually get picked up for another season because i think this could be the start of another mini franchise shall we say what about you i mean generally what you know and honestly what's your thoughts mm. Honestly, I was never a massive fan of the original, so no. I watched it back when it came out. Actually, not at the cinema. I think I saw it on video. It was on video relatively quickly for back in the day, and it didn't blow me away. It was a Lucasfilm project. Of course, there's the interest. I loved Cocoon, so it was Ron Howard's kind of next big fantasy sci-fi type film, so I was into that. And ILM, of course, groundbreaking effects for the time. But that then, 88, you know, we knew Last Crusade was coming and Star Wars was in that limbo period. It mm-hmm. was during the dark times, if you want to you know, think of it in those terms. And so, yeah, it was. It kind of got my interest. But I, it, to me, it's very much in that sort of labyrinth. You know, it's in yeah. those ones, legend. It's, it's that sort of era of, of fantasy films. And, of course, there was no Lord of the Rings coming at that point. That was not going to happen back in 1988 visually or because the family weren't allowing the rights to be sort of let out. So that was not an option. So it was as near to that kind of fantasies as we were going to get. Stepping forward to now with Disney+, Plus, it makes all the sense to do this as a series rather than do it as another film because people who liked Willow and enjoyed Willow really did like and enjoy Willow. And for Warwick, of course, like you just quite rightly said, in the Star Wars galaxy, we think of Wicket as his signature character. But I suppose if you broaden the, the horizons a little bit to, to fans outside of, of Star Wars, you'd say Willow's probably, if not the next, then the guy. So, And he's been asked about it for years and years. They did a whole episode of Life's Too Short where Val Kilmer turned up and yeah. they talked about doing a Willow sequel. So, you know, it's it's been out there forever. It's not Game of Thrones, clearly. It's not Lord of the Rings. It's not hard fantasy it's definitely light fantasy yeah it's that kind of ya kind of feel isn't it totally it's, it's a little yeah. bit angsty there you know the kind of romantic kind of relationships take a little bit more of a center stage without it getting into the the realms of uh like house of dragons and and, and game of thrones and stuff so yeah i mean yeah. i think it, it will i think it will have its place i mean what would the announcements from disney that they're cutting back production this year so they're cutting back mm. from what 50 productions to 40 so it's like a yeah like a drop of 20 percent you do wonder if something like a second season of willow could be a casualty like you said it's one of those shows that it's nice to have and it's nice to see it on the service but it's probably not the kind of show that's likely to get people to either renew a subscription that is waning or jump over to disney plus if they haven't yeah. got it already you know and it's probably quite a pricey show to do i would have thought but i don't know what the mm. budget is that's a good point though because if they've done what they like like they like you just said you know dropping from 50 to 40 then the focus you know that they want to be putting at least four marvel series out a year at least yeah you know and ideally they'd want to put out four star wars so there's a quarter of your output right there because if you're putting out four live action star wars there's there's going to be an, a series of bad batch you're putting out four live-action Marvel. There's going to be a series of what-if. Well, there's 10 straight away. 
just Marvel and Star Wars. That's not touching on Pixar with Cars and Zootopia and Monsters at Work and all the other Pixar and, and Disney stuff, and then all the other shows that they do, a fourth season of High School Musical, The Musical, whatever it's called. <laughs> you could soon fill up that 40 slots very, very quickly. But with Willow, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've not heard any whisper of what the numbers are like. I don't know what the numbers are like. And I don't know what their expectations would be, to be fair, because you're not going to put Willow on and expect it to do Star Wars numbers or no. Marvel numbers. You go back to what you just mentioned about uh, about Andor, the word is is that Andor's numbers aren't as high as they would like them to be, but I think Andor's going to be one of those slow burn series. I think when you stack up the numbers at the end of, let's say, 12 months, I would put sizable money on Andor actually turning out to be pretty damn successful because it's a longer show. Obi-Wan mm-hmm. was, what, six episodes? Andor was twice the length of that. Obi-Wan was over and done in a month. You got your fourth episode within a week of the first one landing. Book of Boba Fett did great. But with Willow, I wouldn't be surprised if they did a second season. And we don't know where this is going to go. I thought the third episode was, to me, a big step up from the first two. Not in terms of performance or visuals or music or anything else, because I thought they were perfectly fine. Just felt the tension racking up and just felt like the story was starting to move. And there was cost in this third episode. You know, a character passes away. And it meant something because it was a character that meant something to Willow. So, you know, it's just starting to ramp up a little bit. And yeah. I am enjoying it. But I've got to say, before you say it, because I know you're a fashionista, I, I double denim, just a no-no. I know, right? Double denim. But like I said, it's, it's just one of those kind of shows. It's nice. You know, so this is interesting. So Samba TV, according to them, 481,000 households watched willow in its first five days and this is something that happens so through like through working at sky we have this kind of thing so we have different viewer numbers based on when something gets released via linear i.e at nine o'clock on sky showcase or something and then aggregated over five days and then over 30 days and obviously those numbers will increase and and now they don't look at like they did back kind of 10 15 years ago when it was like oh there's 26 million people watching eastenders on eight o'clock they look at it from over the course of a week she-Hulk was 1.5 million households in its first four days, and Miss Marvel was 775,000 during those first five days. It's lower than some other, shall we say, second-tier Marvel, shall we say, yeah. I think. But hey, you know, that's just it. We could be sat here in a couple of weeks' time, haven't seen the season finale of Willow, and gone, holy fuck. That's amazing, <laughs> you know, for all we know, <laughs> you know. So yeah. I never like to kind of, and I certainly wouldn't ever stop watching a series like this midway through. But at the same time, you, you've got to be realistic. And I think if Disney are starting to look at the numbers and looking at cost savings, and they're going to probably take a stand back and go, where are the shows that are going to be safe? They are going to obviously make people renew their subscriptions or get bums on seats in the cinema. I and mean, which other ones which are, you know, lukewarm, you know, so it's, I suppose it's where all, you know, where the axe falls in the long run. They wanted Val Kilmer back and yeah. it was going to happen. And Val had to say, look, my health is not good. I can't commit to this. I can't commit to the travel. And they had to change tack at that, you know, fairly late on by the sounds of from what Jonathan Kasdan said, mm. which is regrettable, mm. but understandable given his circumstances. But definitely Mad Martigan as a character is kind of a presence in Willow. And we all wanted to see him back with Willow, which would be wonderful. And I just, I mean, we don't know where this goes, how the season ends. Do they leave it on a cliffhanger? Does it wrap up so that they can come back? A bit like Obi-Wan, 
it was a limited event and it wrapped and you could pick up Obi-Wan with what you see in A New Hope and never go back to it, but we probably will. Whereas Book of Boba Fett finished kind of, oh, there's Fett going off, don't think I like this, I'm going to go and do something else, and kind of teased a second season that we probably won't ever get. We have just had some of the best performances we've ever had from any Lucasfilm production yes. in Andor. That is what's possibly showing Willow up. And I think that is partly what it is. Is that We've just come down from something that is quite meaty, that's got a lot of subtext, and the exposition is in the subtext rather than necessarily just laid out in front of us. And I think that is what is now obviously contrasting against Willow. <laughs> Fanta drags. So myself, Paul Nader, and Jonathan Hipkiss, who's a new contributor to Fanthotraxy's writing blogs for us, which you will be seeing on the site going forward, travelled down to Croydon a few weeks back to Croydon Star Wars Day, where there was a slew, that's a good word, of guests. Not a sleigh. Not a sleigh. It is Christmas, but, you know, let's not be silly. (laughs) There was a slew of guests, including Robert Watts. Paul and Jonathan had the chance to sit down with Robert and discuss a bit of an insight into his incredible career so this is from Croydon this is from a few weeks ago this is Paul Naylor and Jonathan Hipkiss sitting down with the legend and I say that word not lightly legend Robert Watts hello Robert hello hello well yes thank you hello John (laughs) hello sir so your contribution to Star Wars is immeasurable thank Uh, you how did it all come about (coughs) well of course when I was up in your neck of the woods, as I told you, I was doing my national service. This is in the Midlands. In the army. Yeah, yeah. And this was where I, I was first posted for some reason or other. Staffordshire, I didn't even know where it was. <laughs> A lot of people don't. I had to look it up in the map to see where, you know, Litchfield was on the map before I went there. Anyway, enough said. I did my two years in the army, and uh, in 1960, I think it was March 60, I came out of the army having done my two years, and uh, I got a call from George Lucas, because I, well, I'd met him, but it wasn't so much that somebody had recommended that he should meet me because they knew I wanted to go into the film industry. And so I got um, a call to go and meet George Lucas, which I did. I went to meet him at Shepperton Studios. And, well, not so long after that, I got employed, basically as a runner, because that's how you started. (laughs) There were no film schools in those days. And I went to work for George as a runner. Um, and our offices were at, at Shepperton Studios. And then when the time ran out on all of that, we were moved up to Elstree Studios, north of London because it was still a studio that you could work out of London in because it was near enough to London for one to be able to get there by public transport. Yeah. And so I went to work at Elstree Studios 
And uh, <coughs> it was there that I met Andrew Mitchell, the manager of the studio, and it was through him that I got the first Star Wars stages, to be honest, when we made the very first Star Wars film. I'm trying to condense this all because it was over a period, quite a period of time. And I went to work on the very first Star Wars and George Lucas gave me a script and Andrew Mitchell allowed me to rent these, these uh, stages for that film for a knockdown price because I think he recognised that there was something coming that would be beneficial to the studios. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was almost an investment on Indeed, indeed. For everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds, bookmark fanthatracks.com for Star Wars news 24-7, 365. A lot of things had gone on in between here, and I don't want to go into them all because it'll just slow it all down. Um, I'd met Andrew Mitchell now. I'd met George Lucas. I was going to work for George, and I needed uh, somewhere where I would be able to rent all the stages of the studio for a period of time that would allow us to make several films. <laughs> Sounds daft, but that's the <laughs> way it was. Um, so Andrew and I were able, were Mitchell, the manager of Elstree Studios, was, he and I got together and we worked it out so that it would be beneficial both to the studio and to us as a production company to bring all the films to Elstree and that's what we did yeah. and so well we're very grateful that you did because I think had you not seen that opportunity it could quite easily have become a very much more of an American production than an English production so with your foresight and getting involved with that, it made it that Anglo-American joint production, if you like. So, yeah, that was really, really I, good. I think there was, yeah. there was absolute, absolute truth in that yeah. because um, Andrew recognised the value of what I was talking about and um, I guess I did too in a funny kind of way. <laughs> Um, so we moved into Elstree Studios and that's where we made the first Star Wars and, and then as a result we ended up making Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back uh, well, we made three Star Wars and then we went we started the Indiana Jones movies uh, after we'd made two Star Wars and well it all moved on from there and 
This is a very long history I'm trying to condense into a very short... We are completely enraptured. Absolutely. And we managed to make... Well, we made a lot of movies, one after the other, all of which were hugely successful, out of Elstree Studios, and... It worked very well. All I can tell you is, it works. Now, I'm not saying that was my fault that it worked. <laughs> take the credit, take the credit. <laughs> who, who took the credit? Something I've always wanted to know. Who took the credit for getting you in front of the camera in Return of the Jedi? Was no. that a fun on the day idea or had you been burning to have a cameo no I hadn't been burning to have a cameo I hadn't even thought about it <laughs> and then one day we, 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 we got to the point where we're, we're shooting with this two legged walker two, two pilot walker and there's two pilots in it and I remember the morning that we were shooting the shots of the pilots who didn't have any dialogue uh, we didn't get anybody in. We were going to get a couple of extras in to be the pilots. And then I think it was George Lucas, who was on the stage, said, said when I said to him, we're going to put a couple of extras in, in, in the pilot seats, he said, well, why don't you and Richard do it? That was Richard Barkwood, yeah, who was directing yeah. this film. And so that's what happened. <laughs> Richard agreed, and I agreed, and we both got in the costumes and went into the, the, um, the walker. The, the, the it, it, it's a lovely little cameo, and, and it kind of started a trend because... We've since we've had George has been a cameo in a one, at least one Star Wars film, and we've had people like Ben Burt has been a cameo, um, Rick McCallum and various other people have been involved. So you started a trend there. So, <laughs> well, whether I started it or continued it, I don't know, but, <laughs> because it has happened before, yeah. and it happened more yeah, afterwards. It does, yeah where literally cameos where, where you could see the person but they didn't have <laughs> dialogue because we weren't actors no and uh, that's what happened we, we went ahead we shot the film and Richard Markland and myself became the two pilots brilliant and that's what you see actually in the film today if you yeah. look at it now going back a film you were obviously instrumental in getting your half-brother Jeremy involved with, with Star Wars and how he became Boba Fett. I mean, you really gifted him a, an extraordinary part with that, really. So I, I, <coughs> I had this uh, thing where we were coming on the set and we had this character who was a uh, bounty hunter, really, and, called Boba Fett and we hadn't had any casting done for that part 
And my brother Jeremy was around and I knew he wasn't doing anything, so I <laughs> suggested he came in and played the part of Boba Fett. You know. Uh, he did very well out of it over the years. <laughs> he did. He did extremely well because, you know, he played the part and then it, that, that went on afterwards where he did a lot of other uh, interview work, etc., connected with that part, even though Boba Fett never had any lines. Thank you very much for your time, Robert. Oh, it's my it's been pleasure. lovely talking to you. Thank you ever so much. It's my Thank pleasure. You. Thank you. I should have done that quicker, but I, <laughs> no. I've never you, done that. You did brilliantly. Recently in Brazil, the trailer, the teaser for season three of The Mandalorian was shown, and people have been talking muchly about it, including Giancarlo Esposito, who saw the trailer and was rather stoked by what he saw. In his exact words, he said, season three will be off the chain. He's thrilled with the teaser, excited for what we're going to see on the 1st of March. Thank goodness we now finally have a date for the season three launch. Mark, from what you've seen so far, and we've not seen a huge amount, and we're going to see a lot more in the first three months of next year anyway, what do you make of the expectations for Season 3 of Mando? Bear in mind, it's been a couple of years now since Season 2. We had those couple of episodes within the Book of Boba Fett. We've had all this other great stuff, including Andor, which has really raised the bar for Star Wars, not just television, but movies as well, I would like to say. What do you think the expectations are for Season 3 of Mando? And do you think they're reasonable expectations? I'm super pumped for Mando Season 3. I think everybody, now when we're third season we kind of get a rough idea of where things are going with the trailer and, and what we've seen. And I think that's been enough. There's not been anything that's really teased that's kind of made you kind of go, oh, I wonder what that means. It's, we've laid it out fairly, I think, plainly. It's not really until you, you mentioned it, but yeah, like this time last year, we were starting up reaction chats for season two of Mando. But then I suppose it's different because we've just had three very good Star Wars TV streaming series. And we've had a, a nice, strong supply of books and comics as well this year. So it's not mm. like we've had a, a, like a drought of Star Wars that's making us super hungry for it. But the fact of the matter is, I think when it comes back, I think a lot of people will just be able to pick up exactly where things are left off. And I don't think it's going to take a lot of time for people to get back on the Mando and the Grogu chain. I'm really excited for it. Are you curious about it? Is there some big questions you want answered or are you just kind of like just looking forward to just watching it? I think it's that. I think when Mando came along, it was the first TV show to go nuts, certainly on Disney Plus from Star Wars and the wider audience, the, the Disney Plus audience, not just the Star Wars audience, and then far beyond that caught on to The Mandalorian. So for a lot of people, like like there is always with Star Wars, people will have come into Star Wars via Andor, let alone Mandalorian, but it's the most recent iconic Star Wars character. And it's not just Mando, it's Grogu as well, like you yeah. say. So, you know, you've got a pair of literally iconic Star Wars characters have turned up since 2019 when the show launched. And as you say, we had Book of Boba Fett, we've had Bad Batch. Of course, they're not going to get quite the attention that Mando would, but Obi-Wan certainly could, and Andor certainly is. And so on different levels, there's new dogs in the yard now since Mando finished season two with Luke walking onto the ship, which still was just a mind-blowing moment. 
I'm confident that they're going to deliver something really special. Uh-huh. I don't really know what to expect from Ahsoka yet, for example. And there's been set shots and certain characters have sort of cropped up in the Daily Mail from Acolyte, which yeah. is very naughty and they shouldn't be doing it. No, 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 and no, no. we will not be talking about that on Fantasy Tracks. So there's things that are appearing there and they look brilliant. That Wookiee looked phenomenal. But, you know, there's things that we've seen that are going to give us a flavour of the future. But Mando, as, as near to a safe bet as you can have in Star Wars, I would say Mando Season 3 is probably it. So I'm excited. that We know it's a great cast. We know that Favreau and Filoni can spin a great story and get us invested. And I think it's the one show that, above all other Star Wars projects, will go beyond the circle of Star Wars fandom. Of course, Star Wars is way beyond the circle of fandom. It's it's a general thing far bigger than just us. I think it's the one that could really go over great guns. So I'm very excited. If we hadn't have had those two episodes in the middle of A Book of Boba Fett, whether or not, yeah, we would be a little bit more excited for mando season three because you could say in some respects yeah okay so mando did fulfill his his kind of mission and he he got grogu to to luke or to a jedi but i think everybody knew that he wasn't going to stay with luke for very long and it was just merely a matter of time but if we hadn't have had those two episodes slapped in the middle of the book of boba fett we referred to it didn't we as like mando season 2.5 because totally you know, you had those two episodes, and then they were both in two episodes after that, you know, the finale. So, yes, it has been a, a whole year since we've had a Mandalorian season, but it's definitely not been that long since we've seen Mando in our episodes of Star Wars. So that's probably done. And maybe that was one thing they wanted to do as well, was like tie the two kind of series together and also deliver those episodes earlier rather than kind of hold them back. And to be fair quite like that they did that I, I and i know a lot of people feel like it's quite jarring to suddenly go from four episodes of tatooine shenanigans to these two episodes with uh with luke uh, with luke but then i kind of think it kind of works as a larger just star wars story rather than necessarily compartmentalizing it into kind of character like series so yeah but that's something you've you've said that before you've you've said that and it's quite astute in that when people have spoke about different series being whatever that series is you said more than once, it's all Star Wars. It doesn't have to be boxed into a certain thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I do agree with that because there is the bigger picture, the bigger story to tell. And, of course, Boba Fett is part of Mando's story and vice versa. It is a tale of two halves, isn't it? The book, I know we keep going back to Book of Boba Fett, but if we were going into Season 3 and we didn't know the fate of Mando and Grogu's relationship and we hadn't seen them reunite in the weird way that they did on that rickshaw on Tatooine, which <laughs> yeah. just seems so odd. You know, after all that great stuff with Luke training him and Ahsoka being there and just fantastic stuff and then just that weird reunion, you know, they'd built up all the emotion in the world. I'd go so far as to say that that end of season two Mando moment with Luke walking through the door with R2 is top 10 OMG Star Wars moments out of the last 45 years. Edge of the seat. Tears in the eyes. Oh, my God, it's Luke Skywalker. It was just amazing. Up there with the Phantom Menace trailer, the Force Awakens trailer, Luke, I am your father. It's in that sort of atmosphere for me. And then they kind of gave it away because it's almost like they got so far in and thought, we need an oh, my God moment. What can we do? Maybe I'm doing them a disservice, but now we're going into season three, a year after, near as damn it, a year after Book of Boba Fett. I kind of wish that hadn't happened there. I wish we were looking forward to that reunion rather than just looking back at it going, oh, well, they're back Mm. together. 
I suppose it also depends upon what we get out of season three. And I think part of this comes down to the slightly understated role that she's had up to this point. But I think Bo-Katan is going to play a much bigger role in this season than she has done in, in the previous one. She could be the antagonist of this series rather than Moff Gideon. There's definitely some unfinished business with uh, the Darksaber mat still to be done. And I just wonder if she only helped Mando because she was basically biding his time, i.e. hoping that maybe actually he doesn't make it out alive and that she can nab uh, the Darksaber from him. I just wonder if it was, you know, if she's been kind of playing the long game that we're going to start to see be kind of displayed in front of us at season three and that. And also we've got, we now got this redemption, haven't we? We, You know, we've got this kind of redemption of like, you know, in the eyes of the armor and not officially a a Mandalorian anymore. So he now needs to go and redeem himself. You know, he's got his next quest to kind of fulfill. There's lots, I think there's lots to go on, but yeah, I do kind of completely get your point. It's a difficult one because I think they needed to have those story moments told in the book of Boba Fett, either because they couldn't actually extend Mandalorian season two, they may have even had those, you know, those episodes written almost as part of that season two, but then they've either said no, you know, budgetary or actually no, having Luke come out, that's the end of your season. Let's just kind of move it into the book of Boba Fett and let's work a way to get those two back together through what's going on in Tatooine. So you could kind of see that maybe, yeah, it could have been an afterthought a little bit. I'd be surprised if it was the initial kind of thought of, oh yeah, this is going to happen. Oh yeah. And then obviously this is how Grogu and Mando get back together. So you're probably right to some extent. There's probably more than enough plot and more than enough things to chase and things to do in season three that maybe they sat down and plotted that. Because you've got to imagine that even though it was, you know, we're kind of 18 months past the, the heart of the pandemic now, they were writing season three before they'd started filming season one, from what I understand. Right. And so season three was probably been laid down and plotted out way back when. But maybe they just thought, you know, we could shoehorn this into the beginning of season three, but there's, you know, there's the Bo-Katan stuff and there's the Gideon stuff and then there's new characters are definitely going to come into it and it's probably going to overlap with Boba Fett and it's probably going to have Ahsoka in it. There's probably more than enough stuff happening in season three of Mando that they sat down and thought, do we want to give a whole episode over to the reunion or, you know, actually, why don't we just put this in Book of Boba Fett? That might solve a problem because there's a surfeit of stuff to fit into season three. And they kind of want to keep to that eight episode season thing. It seems to be the sweet spot of episodes for them. Not that they're beholden to it. Maybe I'm doing them a disservice by saying, were they not happy with what was happening in Book of Boba Fett? Maybe they just thought, actually, this is a good spot to pause and go in and add this in. Mm -hmm. And it serves both seasons. It helps Book of Boba Fett because why wouldn't you have Mando and Grogu in if you can? With yeah, hefty absolutely. stuff and Luke yeah. Skywalker setting a good bit of Boba Fett series. Last time we saw Luke and Boba Fett in the same scene, it was on the skiff in Return of the Jedi. So yeah. <laughs> that's a cool thing to have. And then, of course, it gives you a jump start for season three of Mando. You haven't got to go and make this story happen. Hi, this is Samantha Aline, the first female stormtrooper in Star Wars, and you're listening to Fan for Tracks. It's nearly Christmas, and it seems appropriate that we would have finally, after blowing ages, a listener's question. Dear Mark and Mark, Father Christmas here. I'm currently finalising my list of who's been naughty or nice. I've plenty of names on my naughty list, including Emperor Palpatine, Moff Gideon and Ryan Johnson. You both have 
just about made it to the nice list. So is there a Star Wars or Lucasfilm item you would really like as a present for Christmas? Keep up the good work, boys. Santa Claus. So it's Chris Kringle himself. He's asking us the question, if we could have something Star Wars or Lucasfilm related, what would we like for Christmas? Oh, yes. What's on my list? Well, literally, up until I think probably the beginning of this week, it wasn't on my list. But now it is. Limited run. They're doing Star Wars Jedi Survivor Collector's Edition for PS5, which comes with not only the game, but a lightsaber in a lovely looking box. It's a fair decent price. It's $300. Yeah, that would be at the top of my list this year. I mean, it's not coming out just yet. I think it's coming out, was it March or something? That's when the new game is announced. But I'm fine with that. I'm always fine with uh, a pre-order for Christmas as long as it actually comes and gets delivered uh, when it says it is. How about yourself? Mine is a little bit older than that. The thing I would really like, and they did a celebration version of it a few years ago. Yeah. The old Bantha Tracks, Bantha Tracks with a B, Star Wars Fan Club magazine back in the day. They did a few clothing items. They did Han Solo's vest and they did Luke Skywalker's sort of Bespin jacket, Bespin which I've got, head. which is like yeah. a, a kid size one, which doesn't fit. I know you've got one, obviously, that you wear as part of the Legion. They had a Bantha track shirt. It was like a ringer shirt, a nice blue collar. It was all a white shirt with the blue Bantha tracks logo and the sleeves that came down to the, basically to the elbows. Yeah, yeah. I would love to find, or I doubt if they even made it in my size back then, if they could, if there's a 2XL version of that knocking around <laughs> that was actually made back in, what, 1981, 82, when that came out, that would be the present I would like. Anything anything to do with Bantha Tracks lights me up. But, but I have another question. Go on, then. The Santa Claus here has, has said, I have plenty of names on my naughty list. Emperor Palpatine, Moff Gideon, Ryan Johnson. I mean, that's a trio and a half. Who would you put on your Star Wars naughty list? Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, I would take Ryan Johnson off just partly because he's just given us the, the gift of a glass onion, which if you haven't seen yet, I thoroughly recommend you do. But also partly because I am a... Uh, I'm a Last Jedi apologist, so I should probably put myself on the list. <laughs> apologist, I love it. <laughs> uh, ooh, yeah, who would I? Who would I put? Well, just because I've never, I never like him. Sio Bibble, I'd stick him on the naughty list. Really? Yeah, just because he's just a bit wet, isn't he? We might not have talked about this. This might actually be something that I talked about when I uh, made my single episode appearance on Star Wars Spins. My least favourite character in all of Star Wars is Sio Bibble. Wow. <laughs> I know. Wow. Poor old Sio Bibble. I mean, all he, all he did was warn about the blockade and, you know. Well, I think it's because he slightly points out the bleeding obvious and stuff like that. And, I mean, the performance is great. The performance it kind of, like, enacts a, a actual physical reaction in me. So that's obviously great <laughs> acting. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Oliver Ford Davis. He, he's I a great, he's excellent. a lovely, lovely he gentleman. He really is. Yeah. I've never interviewed him. I'd like to, which is why I'm making this public apology. I'll tell you who would be on my naughty list. It's whoever is in charge of bringing the Hot Wheels Star Wars character cars over to the UK because they are a nightmare to find. Are they? Oh, God, I've rejigged my top room now. Yeah. So on one sort of slat wall, of I've filled up the one. I've got a big drop of racking that I've got another load on, and they look fantastic, and they are an absolute nightmare to find. So on my naughty list goes whoever is in charge of bringing Mattel's Star Wars character cars over to the UK because I would buy them all if I could get them. But you can't. Do you know what? One of they the things- are my CO Bibble. <laughs> See, you're you're too nice to have a like a least favorite character in Star Wars. Is there is there not one Star Wars character that just for whatever reason just winds you up? 
Um, I'm, I'm honestly nothing that leaps to mind. I'm sure if I dredged a bit, I would find one, but I can't honestly. Oh wow, I don't know. No, there's nothing. I mean, every I think every character's got its merits in Star Wars for the most part. I can't think of anybody that I I would rather they weren't there. Mm. I can't think of any. How terribly vanilla of me to say that. Absolutely, there should be one character. There really should be one character. Where I go, I can't stand that character, but I really cannot think of it. How lame bad. am I? That's terrible. I'm putting myself on the naughty list yeah, for me. It's spineless. That's it. You are. Terrible. You will only be getting cold this year, and it won't even be Star Wars branded cold because, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, the licensee kind of uh, lapsed last year, so they, they don't do it anymore. So, so, so I just get regular cold, not Rick Coley. <laughs> oh my god! Right. Sorry. Yeah, there you go. You're definitely on the naughty list for that. <laughs> I think that will probably have to do us. Thank you very much for listening. It has been a pleasure, at least talking anyway, so I hope it's been a pleasure you guys listening. If you would like to be like Father Christmas and only work one day a year, but also have the ability to send in a listener's query, question or thought or theory, fan tracks. So, Mark, how can they get in well, touch? I, I have the information here, Mark, and I think I should probably... Uh, recite it from memory so if you want to be part of the action and stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news visit Panthertracks.com or check out the free on program free Panthertracks app through the app store to follow us on your mobile device you can reach out to us and send in your listeners questions by emailing radio at Panthertracks.com so Father Christmas took time out of his busy schedule but it's not that busy because he only works one day a year but but busy enough to email us with his question so you can do it too I'm expecting the Easter Bunny soon Comment, like, and share on any of our social media feeds at Fantatrax, and be sure to subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice. And as always, thanks to James Semple for composing the Fantatrax intro, and Noah Brian for our making tracks opening music, and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers. Remember, tune in to Good Morning Tatooine. It's live Sunday evenings, 9 o'clock UK, 4pm Eastern, 1pm Pacific on Facebook and YouTube. And when there's a show on, like we've just had with Andor, it's also on Thursday the evenings at nine o'clock as well and check out our phantom tracks radio friday night rotation every friday night at seven o'clock uk for new episodes of the phantom from down under planet layer desert planet discs slight your engines collecting tracks cannon fodder and special episodes of making tracks and every tuesday at seven o'clock uk time for your weekly episode of making tracks and that's me done for this episode everybody stay safe and of course may the force be with you Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio, it's Making Tracks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>